Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, why it's been so hard to sell a major business magazine and a Detroit automaker gets into scooters. But first, what comes next? So it's Thursday morning, and to be honest, the midterms already feel like an eternity ago. Since we learned Democrats would take the House, we've had President Trump fire Attorney General Jeff Sessions, engage in a lengthy news conference, had a CNN reporter stripped of White House credentials, and then there's obviously been the horrific shooting in Thousand Oaks, California. But the midterms did happen, and they were consequential. For starters, the demographics of Congress have changed. More women than ever were elected to the House, even though the number of Republican women will actually shrink. There also are at least seven new members with science or medicine or engineering expertise after a concerted effort by Democrats to add folks with science backgrounds. But most importantly, we're about to have two competing visions for how to handle America's economy. Top down, as Republicans generally prefer, or bottom up, which is the Democratic message. Plus, there is increased polarization between urban and rural communities, each of which have very different economic needs. So the question now is if we're headed for gridlock, which means status quo on things like taxes, infrastructure, and healthcare, or if a bipartisan Congress could actually mean bipartisan compromise. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Jennifer Wexton, who will be part of the incoming freshman Democratic class in Congress. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Jennifer Wexton, who on Tuesday night won her race to represent Virginia's 10th district in the new Congress. So, Congresswoman-elect, during the campaign, you talked a lot about working families in Northern Virginia. So I'm wondering, from an economic standpoint, what do you see as the most significant or maybe most immediate thing the new Democrat-controlled House can do? Well, the top issue that was on everybody's mind was definitely health care. We had races here in Virginia last year, too, and it was the same last year. And we made a lot of changes to our General Assembly. We flipped 15 seats in the House of Delegates and we're finally, after five years of fighting, able to expand Medicaid at the state level. So now, you know, I think that we have another mandate from the people to do something about health care. And I hope we'll be able to do that at the federal level this year. At the federal level, do you view yourselves more as playing defense, in other words, protecting what's kind of left of the ACA, or or do you see something in addition you could do to make something new or to move something forward? I think that playing defense is not really helpful to the needs of the American people. You know, I think a lot of us in the freshman class ran on promises to deliver solutions to Americans on things that directly impact their lives, things like health care and things like infrastructure and things like gun violence prevention. And I think it's finally time to be proactive on those issues. With that, did you watch any of the, uh, the I guess, almost two hour long press conference with uh, President Trump yesterday? I just have seen various clips on the news. I've been a little busy. <laughs> Fair enough. So so I will ask you about the clips that don't involve him yelling at reporters. In part of that, he hinted that there could be some possible compromises uh, with Democrats, with Democratic House, particularly when it came to things like taxes. Do you view there as being an area of compromise with the White House when it comes to fiscal policy, health care policy? Do you see places where you guys can actually work together? We'll find out. I spent the last four years in the state Senate in Virginia where there was a Republican majority in, in both of the houses and a Democrat. 
Democratic governor, but we still managed to get lots of stuff done. So I'm hoping that now that we have some balance in Congress, we'll be in a better position to work together to instead of engaging in political battles or posturing that we can finally do what people send us there to do, which is deliver positive results for families in, in America. You know, it's part of that. The, the thing I'm starting to hear from people on Capitol Hill is that they envision they're particularly on infrastructure, which is something you mentioned, there being potentially some sort of compromise, but that the compromise, the peace Democrats would have to give on would have to be some sort of border wall funding. I, I know you ran against having a border wall with Mexico. Could you foresee yourself voting for a package that includes funding for that wall if it also includes something like infrastructure spend, major infrastructure spend? I think we need to see what the entire package entails. I don't make votes based on hypotheticals. I'd like to see what everything entails and and what uh, the various options would be. So I'm not going to foreclose any possibilities, but obviously... I do believe that spending on a wall is a ridiculous waste of money and, and going to be ineffective. I think there are other better things that we can use that money for, including better, more modern ways of securing our border. Let me ask in terms of families, an issue that's facing them in, in addition to paychecks is technology. And, and there's been a bunch of talk already in the past, I guess, 48 hours about the Democratic controlled House doing something when it comes to privacy regulation, potentially some sort of regulation on kind of the Facebooks of the world. Curious your thoughts on that. Do you believe a company like Facebook, there should be some sort of privacy regulations put upon them and their peers? Absolutely. This is the new world that we live in. And privacy protections are something that I think everybody needs to uh, to be cognizant of and, and have protected. So yes, the question is, how do we go about doing it? What's the best way? Are we painting with too broad a brush? So I think, you know, there have been a lot of discussions about doing something in that area. And I think we're, we'll finally, hopefully find some bipartisan support. Is there something particular when it comes to privacy regulation you'd like to see? Well, the first thing I'd like to see is getting back to net neutrality. I think one of my concerns about the Trump administration was their abolition of the uh, the net neutrality rules. I think that that taking away a free and open Internet is a real problem for open exchange of information on the Internet. And I think that that's something that we could start with. One of the other things you've been an advocate for is uh, legislation on the state level against uh, so-called revenge porn. Do you view that as something that you can push for and successfully push for at the federal level? And does it need to be at the federal level or does it work fine at the states? Well, I'm not sure it needs to be at the federal level. I know that what we did at the state level is there had been a criminal cause of action, but uh, but that there was definitely a need for there to be a civil cause of action as well. I think that any revenge porn cause of action would lie in the state courts, but doing something at the federal level to uh, put requirements on Facebook and those companies to have those protections would be a smart thing to do at the regulatory level. A lot of your peers or other members, incoming members of the freshman class on the Democratic side come from districts that aren't as economically prosperous as Virginia's 10th. And that's not to say that that's uniform within the district, obviously. But but generally speaking, how do you bridge that gap with them and find common ground with folks who are representing communities that, generally speaking, have not benefited from the recent economic boom like yours has? Well, for those communities, and it's, it's something that impacts the, you know, the western reaches of my community, you know, they still care about infrastructure infrastructure and transportation. And for them, uh, for a lot of those communities, infrastructure includes access to high-speed broadband, which they don't have right now, and which, which has really impacted the ability of businesses to locate there and people to you know, take full advantage of the economy and, and that sort of thing. So there are definitely the issues that we stand for are 
protecting working families, and that's something that cuts across all areas and regions of this country. Congresswoman-elect Jennifer Wexton, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up, yesterday we learned that Meredith, the big magazine publisher best known for better homes and gardens, is having a bit of a tough time selling Fortune magazine, which it acquired earlier this year as part of its Time Inc. purchase. It didn't say tough time in its earnings call, but the timeline for selling Fortune was pushed back, so we'll infer that. Now, here's the bottom line. Lots of people actually have interest in buying Fortune, but those are mostly big business executives who think it could become a conflict of interest. For example, one household name recently told me he was ready to bid, but his board told him not to. What Meredith seems to need, therefore, isn't just a big business person, but is a big retired business person. And finally, Ford Motor Company has agreed to buy Spin, one of those stockless electric scooter companies that you see all over city streets right now. Namely, because Ford wants to remain relevant. It and other big automakers are pretty worried right now that the model that has served them for so long, basically selling cars to people, is on its way out and new alternatives are coming in, whether that be urban shuttles or self-driving fleets or yeah, scooters. So for Detroit and Ford, the new model now is all of the above. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great national Harvey Wallbanger Day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.